Hello and welcome to the Travel Diaries podcast. I'm Holly Rubenstein, I'm a travel and entertainment journalist, and here each week I'll be speaking to a very special guest about their adventures around the world and the travel experiences and destinations that have shaped their lives. Today I'm joined by Wanderlust Magazine's co-founder and editor-in-chief, Lynn Hughes. Lynn will tell us more about this great story, but In the early 90s, she and her late husband were bored on a flight to South America, and so they schemed out their dream travel magazine on the back of a sick bag. The idea stuck, and returning to the UK a few months later, they launched Wanderlust magazine from their spare bedroom, with Lynn as editor and Paul, her husband, as publisher. The magazine gradually grew through word of mouth, and now years later, it's one of the UK's leading travel magazines. Of course, through her work with the magazine, Lynn has traveled all over the world and has her finger on the pulse of what's hot and what's not when it comes to travel. I particularly love her hidden gem in this episode. And along with her travel diaries, we cover wildlife travel, future travel trends, and of course, a little bit of travel during COVID. It's hard to escape it, isn't it? And doesn't it feel like the goalposts are changing the whole time at the moment? Anyway, as usual, the plan is to transport you far away from those worries. So from New Zealand and Borneo to Macedonia and Morocco, here are the wanderlust-inspiring travel diaries of Lynn Hughes. Lynn Hughes, welcome to the Travel Diaries. Thank you so much for joining me today. How are you? Oh, fine. Thank you, Holly. You know, in these strange times, aren't they? These surreal times that we're living in at the moment. And how are you feeling now that travel's getting going again? It's really exciting to see travel start up again. Although what what is quite ironic is that I actually live, well, near Windsor, which is near Heathrow. And so I live under the flight path. And we've seen an increase in the number of flights. And there's still nothing like the number that, that, that there was before. But there has definitely been an increase. And so whenever I take the dog out for a walk, I have neighbours saying to me, I had one just an hour or two ago, say to me, Ooh, there's more planes. Ooh. And it, it's one of those things where I'm really torn because one of the joys, obviously, of lockdown was people saying that they could hear the sounds of nature, they could hear the birds' song. And it's felt particularly special where I live. And I, I live on an island in the Thames, anyway. On an island? Yeah, just one of the islands in the Thames. And so, a great community on the island and so on. Wow. Um, but it's been wonderful. We've had you know, more than ever, uh, without any boats going past and with very few planes going over. We've really been close to nature, which is what I love anyway. But of course, now it's beginning to change and and planes are going over. And part of me is thinking, how exciting that there's more flights again. And uh, isn't that wonderful for travel? And oh, you know, can't wait myself to get back out there and on a plane. And then part of me is also thinking, well, this has actually been a very special time in a lot of ways, and uh, to have to have the joy of that that the silence, or when I say the silence, actually it's been very noisy, but in a different way with the chatter of birds. Yeah, the bird song where I was locking down has been the loudest and most beautiful it's ever been. It's been a, a really special time in some ways, hasn't it? But I, I have to say, my wanderlust is back. I'm seeing people traveling on social media and stuff and I'm just, I'm starting to get itchy feet again. Mm, Oh yes, I love the feeling. 
Well, speaking of wanderlust, a word that's used a lot on this podcast, actually, it's time to begin with your travel diaries, Lynn. So let's begin with chapter one, which is your earliest childhood travel memory. It's probably being lost on the beach at Southport, so up in the northwest. So if anybody knows that beach, it is huge. It it is a vast expanse of of sand. And my family were from the northwest, from Merseyside and the Wirral. And so holidays tended to be around North Wales or Lancashire, those sorts of places. But we used to go to places more like... um, farms or into the countryside but this was probably the first sort of seaside experience uh, properly I'd had and I I went roving off on the beach you know I I was always curious and always wanted to go and have a nose uh, around and I got utterly lost um, scared my parents of course who did eventually find me and um, but they they never let me live it down that um, you know I set off as this great great explorer when I was you know two and a half or something and went toddling off (laughs) along this immense beach. (laughs) So one of the recent issues of Wanderlust had Secret Britain on the cover so tell me about some of your secret British spots. At the moment I'm finding a real joy in kind of rediscovering Britain again. I think as a as a kid, um, you know, one family holiday, um, perhaps the first sort of place or area I fell in love with was actually um, southwest England. And, you know, a very good we, segue to chapter two there, Lynn, in the first place <laughs> that you fell in love with. We went down to southwest England a couple of times uh, for long holidays, you know, extended holidays um, going around uh, Somerset, Devon, Cornwall. And I fell in love with, for instance, Exmoor. I, I, I thought that was absolutely wonderful and, and just loved moors um, in general and also Bodmin Moor. Cornwall, mm. I, I absolutely loved. And I ended up in my teens going back to Bodmin Moor every year for about four or five years running uh, to go horse riding. And you know, just sort of loved those those big open expanses and, and perhaps a sort of sense of history while you're there as well. You know, you, you feel that you're in an ancient landscape mm. and uh, that it's been unchanged for, you know, millions of years. So for, for people who aren't familiar with the southwest of England and the moors, how would you bring them to life? Oh, gosh, <laughs> that's a tricky one. I mean, I think that in the UK, obviously, we we don't perhaps have many expanses of big open lands, you know, not in the the way that you get in in some countries. Mm. Uh, We're better known for perhaps a patchwork of small fields and for, you know, beautiful little cottages and beautiful little villages, you know, tucked into hills and so on. And so it was a revelation to go up onto you know, a, a big expanse of, of open land and where you get wild ponies. Uh, they do have owners, of course, but um, they're living out there year round. And they're windswept places, typically. So um, so the famous ones down in, down in the southwest, uh, the big ones are Exmoor, Dartmoor and Bodmin Moor. And Dartmoor's perhaps the, the best known and the biggest. But 
I've always been attracted. I think, you know, Exmoor really did something to me as a child and, and really instills a wanderlust into me somehow. And, um, and then Bodmin Moor tends to get forgotten because it's in Cornwall. And mention Cornwall to anybody, and they always go on about the Cornish coast, which is a delight, you know, absolutely beautiful. Um, you know, you've got the rugged north coast, the very wild Atlantic coast, and then, and then the softer south coast with its estuaries and boating. But um, people don't very often talk about the interior of Cornwall. And, um, you know, I, and I just loved this very wild area, Bodmin Moor, which uh, I've went to so many times as a teenager. And it, it, it's still, you know, I've been passed or through it a few times since. And, and it's still very special. Oh, it's such a beautiful part of the world. So from there, can you tell me a bit about the journey to setting up Wanderlust magazine? I met my late husband, Paul, when we were both working together in the same company. We were working for the Mars Group. It was this travel bug that we, we, we had in common. And we, we were just finding that it was travel that was calling us all the time. And increasingly, that felt like the real world, you know. So, you know, you get back from a trip and, and, and people would say, oh, welcome back to the real world. But actually, to us, the real world was perhaps when we were traveling. So we started to think, well, we need to find a way of living travel somehow. That's, that's got to become our life. So we decided to just jump on a plane and go to South America for a few months, uh, like you do. And it was, it was fairly spontaneous, you know, I think, you know, so in fact, two or three weeks after having the idea, we, we got on a plane and, and headed off. We were between contracts. So um, let's go off. So we also decided to go hand luggage only. That's a bold move for a few months. It is, it is, it <laughs> you is. travel very light. I think we were partly challenging ourselves. Could we do that? You know, could we <laughs> really just go off with a, with a day pack each with our belongings? So that's what we did. So we, we got on a plane and we had, because we were traveling hand luggage only, it meant that we had notebooks with us. And of course, there were no smartphones back then. And so basically, we had nothing to divert ourselves on the plane with. And so there we were stuck for all these hours on a plane with nothing to do, nothing to read. And we were talking about... Um, how we loved magazines and and it, what a shame you know there was no in-flight magazines what a shame we hadn't bought any magazines at the airport to bring on the plane and that got us talking about well why are there no travel magazines because at the time there had been a couple that had come and gone but you know there just there were just no travel magazines and so we started to speculate about why that was and why the ones that had been around hadn't worked so we started to plan out what our dream travel magazine would be and we hadn't got any paper with us so we used a sick bag <laughs> and borrowed a pen off someone and started to jot our thoughts down. We even came up with what the name of our dream travel magazine would be. And the word wanderlust wasn't actually very much used at that time. You know, not everybody knew what it meant, but we had both been told as children that, that you know, we, we were blessed or cursed or whatever with wanderlust. And so it just seemed a really appropriate name. And also a sort of a self-defining one in the way, because this magazine would be for people who 
this dream travel magazine, would be for people who felt the same way about travel that we did. Mm. And so people who also had the, you know, the wanderlust gene or whatever and understood what the word meant and, and got excited when they heard the word. And so that was the thinking behind it. Anyway, so this was still all just fun on the plane. But as we got up, you know, to get off, we sort of turned to each other and, and basically said, oh, gosh, you know, we could do this. And so having got to keto, one of the first things we did was was buy an exercise book uh, and a pen <laughs> and start actually jotting down our thoughts and, and, you know, roughing out a business plan and so on. And so at the start of that trip, when anybody asked us, you know, what, what we did back home, we'd start to waffle on a bit about, you know, be, being consultants or whatever. But by the end of the trip, uh, when people asked us what we did, we, we'd say, oh, we're publishers. Wow. <laughs> and, uh, knew nothing about it, but uh, we were just determined to give it a go and, and as quickly as possible as well. So when we got back to the UK, and we got back probably, you know, a few weeks earlier than we'd originally sort of thought we would. Within about seven or eight months, we had produced the first issue of Wanderlust. What an incredible story. So let's move on now to chapter three. That's the place where you learned the most about yourself. Yeah. So in my 20s, I'd been doing a lot of business travel and a lot of travel in Europe in the UK. But I hadn't done much long haul travel. And then I was I was getting quite restless, so I arranged to take several weeks off work and went to Thailand, Malaysia, Singapore. It just sort of had ignited a real curiosity in me. And um, the first part of the trip was a hill tribe trek and finding out about these, these other cultures and how people lived and, and, and what they thought and everything. It, it had a massive impact on me. I also, in the, the second part of the um, trip, which went down through Malaysia, we stayed um, in a national park for a few days in Tamanagara. And I knew I liked animals and, and wildlife, but again, it, it was so reinforced there and, and again, ignited a passion. So I was fortunate enough there to spend the night in a hide with a few people and we saw quite a bit of wildlife. We, we um, kept up, you know, we had a, um, people on watch all night to look out for interesting things. And we actually spotted a clouded leopard, which is very, very difficult to see. Wow, how exciting. So did you say a, cl- a clouded leopard? A clouded leopard. So it's a type of leopard and they're, they're very shy and they tend to be nocturnal. And of course, they're living in deep forest or whatever. So they're very rare to see. So um, this really ignited a, a passion for seeing wildlife as well uh, in the wild. And and so it was quite – I knew at the time that it was this trip had had a massive impact on me. But actually I can look back now and see that it was a bit of a, a game changer in a way, that I really did learn a lot about myself on that trip and about the things that I, I really was interested in. I think it was 
after that trip, when I when I was back at my desk and I, I kept looking out the window, <laughs> and, you know, wishing I was back out on the road again. Um, I think that 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 was the start of the journey towards starting a travel magazine, really. And wildlife travel is now obviously so more popular than ever, isn't it? Mm. So, which destinations would you recommend for unforgettable wildlife experiences? There's lots. And obviously safaris uh, in Africa can have a lot of that sort of effect on people. And I think what's always interesting, I mean, I've I've done an awful lot of safaris. I absolutely love it. And some places such as Zambia I've been to several times. But um, I think what's always fascinating is when it's somebody's first safari and, you know, people go excited, hoping to see a lion or something. But they're usually then surprised by the animals that actually capture their heart or, you know, have a more sort of a bigger effect on them. So, for instance, seeing giraffes in the wild. That seems to affect so many people, but so many places. I mean, one of the one of the best trips I've done is when I went to Brazil a couple of years ago. I'd never seen a jaguar, and went to a wonderful place in the Pantanal. Uh, went to somewhere called uh, Cayman Lodge, and you go out, and it is a bit like going on an African safari. They have safari style jeeps there, and so on. You go out looking for wildlife, and they've got something like a ninety nine percent chance there of of seeing jaguars. It really, is a wonderful place, and, and to see jaguars in the wild, it's it really you know the first time you see a jaguar, it does make the hair stand up on the back of your neck. They're, they are so powerful and so immense. But again, it's not just about that one animal either. It, it's about the whole. The whole experience, the whole the whole ecosystem, all the other wildlife, the landscape and, and the people who live in that landscape as well. Mm, magical. Speaking of glorious places, chapter four is your all time favourite destination. Such a tough question for everyone, I know. Oh, I know. <laughs> Can never Did you struggle that. to come up with your answer? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I keep changing my mind still. I think it's so impossible. I think New Zealand would have to be one of them. You know, the scenery, the wine. <laughs> I do love my wine. <laughs> and, um, and, and so many terrific experiences there. I've met so many people from New Zealand and always seem to get on with them. Uh, so the people as well. It's just got such a, a package of things. And, you know, you go somewhere like, say, Kaikoura, a, a town there in South Island on the East Coast. And, you know, you've got whale watching offshore, which I think is, you know, one of life's greatest experiences to go whale watching. Mm. You get super pods of dolphins and everything offshore as well. You've got a lot of Maori culture around there. And in fact, Maori run businesses, which obviously really enhances the experience. And then you've got, you know, a, a town there with terrific sort of creativity and some arts and great food. Um, and then you've got, you know, a range of mountains behind uh, where you can do all sorts of outdoor activity, you know, where you can go hiking and horse riding and so on. And so I think, you know, places like that are, are just so special and, you know, draw mm. me back again and again. Such yeah. diversity. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, Dear, so many places. <laughs> <laughs> How about a favourite city? I know you love the country, but are you a city lover too? I'm not so much into cities. You know, I prefer, you know, the big wild spaces. You know, if I'm dreaming of places to go, it is going to be more your New Zealand's and Namibia's, Chile, <laughs> Ecuador. But 
Yeah, those. But cities, uh, funny enough, the city that had, seems to have, I don't know, I've been pulled back to a lot again and again, or, or I seem to perhaps almost end up back in somehow by accident is Marrakesh. And um, I think it's one of those places you, you'd find hard to get tired of. It's actually where I met uh, my partner oh. as well. And he came on a wonderful trip. So it's a place yeah. very special to you. It's always exciting to be back in Marrakesh and perhaps walk, you know, through the suits to the uh, main square, Jebel Fanar. And, and as you get closer, you know, the anticipation rising and you can hear the drums, you know, as you get closer, where you get all the kind of street performers in the square. That rising energy. Yeah, you, know, you, you do get that rising energy. And, and to go and, you know, perhaps go to um, the rooftop of one of the cafes around the square or something and and as the sun goes down and you get the food vendors with all the you know the smoke comes up from their fires where they're cooking the food and you've got the street performers and you've got this hubbub of you know life below you and that still always gives me a thrill yeah absolutely ready to pop the question The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Today's episode is supported by Airbnb. It has been a long old winter here in the UK and in between podcast seasons, I'm going to take a little bit of downtime to seek out some warmth. I'm jetting off to the Greek island of Mykonos, visiting some places that have been on my bucket list. And while I'm hopefully soaking up some Mediterranean sun, my home will be hosting guests from all over the world thanks to Airbnb. It's the perfect way to make your travels even more rewarding. Instead of letting your home sit empty while you're off exploring new destinations, why not turn it into a cozy retreat for fellow travellers just like I do. Whether you choose to rent out your entire space or just a spare room, it's up to you. I list my spare bedroom and it's been a fantastic experience, both financially rewarding and a great way to connect with new people. So if you're planning your own summer getaway or any trip for that matter, consider putting your home on Airbnb. It's a fantastic way to earn extra income that can go towards your travel expenses, souvenirs, or even that special treat you've been eyeing. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.co.uk forward slash host. Thank you to Airbnb for supporting the Travel Diaries. Right now, our physical and mental health and wellness has never felt so important, has it? And there's one place that can help you to look after all three. Right in the heart of Mayfair, Lancerhoff at the Arts Club combines the best in fitness and medicine and is available to both members and non-members. 
The medical services offered by orthopedists, general practitioners and cardiologists are complemented by a team of physiotherapists, osteopaths and chiropractors who use pioneering analytics and equipment to create bespoke health and well-being plans. State-of-the-art medical technology like in-house MRI scanners and a spinal movement lab complement their holistic approach. Exclusive to the club's members are the gym, fitness classes, training with amazing personal trainers, as well as access to a member's lounge with a range of healthy dishes based on the Lanzerhof Energy Cuisine. And next year, this is so exciting, they've got a big new opening, Lanzerhof Silt, which is the first Lanzerhof to be built by the sea. It looks like it will be truly spectacular a spectacular place to relax and look after your health so head over to lancerhoff.com for more information about all of this and book your visit now now let's return to lynn so i've done my first post-lockdown trip already it was in the uk have you where yeah. did you go <laughs> i went up to southern cumbria and I actually went and stayed at a B&B, but it's a luxurious B&B. It's very special. It's called Number 43. Uh-huh. And it's in a small town called Arnside. And it's in the south of Cumbria. And it's right on the Kent Estuary, which is part of Morecambe Bay. And so this beautiful B&B um, the, the woman who owns it, Leslie, has done such a fantastic job with it. And to so be in a, a bedroom with a big bay window overlooking the estuary and to see the light changing through the day. Beautiful. Uh, to see the tide coming around, see, you know, all the bird life. And there's a handy pub next door. So, it's, <laughs> yeah, what more do you need? And I so I much prefer that sort of place and that kind of I think that's you know the true luxury as well is, is just being somewhere very special but that's also you know catering to catering to all, to all your needs it is all you need well moving on to chapter five that's your hidden gem a place that you love that's a bit undiscovered the one that I always seem to recommend to people and I've been back to several times now including for a big birthday I had is Macedonia, or as it's now called, North Macedonia. Oh, interesting. Mm. So the first time I went there was, it might have been about 10 years ago now, I guess, nine or 10 years ago. And I, I was on a trip, a work-related trip, that took in Kosovo, Albania, where I had been a couple of times before, and Macedonia. I remember being in, in Albania, by Lake Hocrid, which is one of the most wonderful places in the world, Lake Hocrid. It's one of the oldest and deepest lakes in Europe and indeed in the world. And we took then bicycles to the border, and uh, which is wasn't that far away, and went over the border into Macedonia. Within a, a couple of kilometres came to an old monastery that's been turned into a hotel. There was just something, it's very hard to explain, but I just felt that I'd come to somewhere very special that I loved. I just thought, gosh, this is so beautiful and so special. And why did I not know about this? What was the name of the hotel? Well, it's um, St. Norm, N-A-U-M, St. Norm Monastery. Mm -hmm. So it's quite a special spot. It's got some, just down the road from it, it's got some springs that feed into Lake Hockrid. And there's a, a restaurant there where um, you can actually have 
breakfast or your dinner or any meal you want, actually, on a kind of floating pontoon. Oh, how wonderful. <laughs> and, um, yeah, in fact, the first time I went there, they hadn't told us that it was on a floating pontoon. And um, so we, walked, we were shown to a table. Yeah, we're a group and shown to a table. And um, breakfast, beautiful breakfast, bread and, you know, coffee and everything. And then suddenly, you know, they undid the ropes and we were floating off. <laughs> on this water and um you know the guy with a pole taking us along and around where the springs were and everything and it, it was so unique and so special wow. you can actually go out on a boat as well around these springs even if, if you're not in that particular restaurant and just another lovely spot and then we took a boat from the hotel to Ockred town itself again just sort of Got there, so that's, you know, a couple of hours across the lake or whatever. Got there and thought, wow, again, why did I not know about this place? And I I actually texted home to my partner and said, we've got to come back here together. Really? You see, that's the true endorsement when you say that you've got to go back, isn't it? Yes, and it's a, um, both the town and the lake are a UNESCO World Heritage Site. And the town has just got layer upon layer of history there. You know, you name it, it's got it. You know, it's um, got... It just sounds so wonderful. Why yeah. is it not more popular? Um, who knows? And Or is it? I, I don't know. It's popular in high season with the Dutch. So if you go in July or first half of August, it is busy. And they also have a, a cultural festival on during that time as well. And so you get people who go for the festival and you also get Dutch people go for the cheap beer and so on. But go outside of that and it's just heaven. You see, this is what I love about the podcast. That's a place I certainly didn't have on my radar. And now you've brought it to life so beautifully. I'm dying to visit. So thank you so much for that incredible recommendation. At the start of 2020, before COVID, what destinations were you tipping to be the next big thing? It was clearly going to be a good time, I think, for Japan. And obviously, poor old Japan was was going to be hosting the Olympics. I I do feel for them. I I was out there again last autumn, and we'd seen with the magazine and our website that there was so much interest in Japan. And also, not just in, you know, Tokyo and Kyoto and the main sites, but people are beginning to appreciate that there's so much more to Japan than that, Mm. that there are several islands that it's got this you know that you can do winter activities there that you can do wildlife watching there that it's also got places that are almost tropical just that sheer variety and diversity that that Japan has got and have you been to any of those more off the beaten track parts of Japan Yes, and and not enough, perhaps, but um, I have been. I mean, you know, I've done a little bit of uh, walking there, for instance. They've got so many great um, old walking trails and pilgrimage trails and old walking routes. So I've done bits of a couple of those. But there's still many places in Japan I, I would like to go back to. And I've noticed that in just in, you know, the last month or so, we've seen that our readers again are because we we survey them a lot we're always talking to our readers and we can see Japan starting to really kind of trend again and it will be interesting to see what impact on people's perceptions the pandemic has had but I think Japan is somewhere that is people do see as being actually pretty safe 
Um, yeah. And so from that point of view, you know, as well now from a health point of view as well, I think people, you know, Japan's come out as one of the good ones uh, that people will yeah. therefore feel feel safe going to as well. I think that is going to be a factor in our travels in the next year or two. And so, for instance, Iceland, we see, has suddenly bubbled back up again as well because Iceland has come through the pandemic incredibly well. You know, and we can see that, again, it's something that people are starting to search on and, and want to think about trips to and plan trips to. Um, and a lot of people are also mentioning New Zealand for the same reasons. Now, New Zealand is, isn't reopening just yet. But I think when it does reopen, that, that's going to do very well in long-haul travel, that people really want to go there. Yeah, they've really kind of cemented their, their uh, reputation there. Yeah, They really, really have. In contrast, then, Chapter 6 is your worst travel experience. Mm, I think that it's very clear to me what my worst travel experience was, but it did have a, a kind of happy ending and it restored my faith in humanity as well. So many, many years ago, pre-Wanderlust, Myself and my late husband, Paul, were traveling in Indonesia and we were in Sumatra. And we went to a, a fairly remote town because we wanted to go into, you know, the sort of national park and forest behind the town. And when we arrived in this town, there was just a really menacing atmosphere and you could just, you know, it really was palpable. As soon as you got off the, the bus or whatever, we, we could feel this. And we just didn't feel welcome. And we went round to the, what was at the time, the only hotel in town, and it was shut. It was, you know, locked up. So that left us with a bit of a dilemma. And people started to gather, and and it didn't feel great. And in fact, so much so that we broke into the hotel, we climbed the wall and um, got in. And the caretaker let us stay uh, the night. And so we left the town the next day, went went into the uh, National Park and had a fantastic time, came back out, but had to then go back through to that town to get transport out again and, and to go on in to, to the capital where we needed to be that night. When we got to the town, the atmosphere was even more menacing. And I've, I've never quite found out why it was like that, but I did after this, by the way, see uh, warnings about this town in in guidebooks and so on, and particularly for women. We asked about buses and were told that it was a national holiday and that the only bus had already gone. Uh, We'd missed it. And we thought, oh, gosh, what are we going to do? Because a, I think we were get, we were probably getting a flight out the next morning, so needed to get back to the capital for that. But even if there wasn't that happening, we really didn't want to stay in this town again. We really needed to get out, so we were asking, and a, and a, a rather hostile crowd started to gather, and, and we were asking for how we could get out. And in the end, um, some guys sort of took us off to a cafe and started demanding money to get us out of town. And they were asking for a huge sum of money. Someone, one of them started, uh, I'm not exaggerating here, he had a machete <sighs> and he started sharpening it, which it might have been quite harmless, but obviously psychologically that isn't right when you're negotiating with somebody. Oh, my goodness. So we we were really, really uncomfortable and the negotiations went on for quite a while. 
And eventually we agreed a sum. So a minibus appeared and it took us off to, I think it was about two hours away to another town, which was more of a hub and where there would be buses. All the way on that bus journey, I I just remember thinking, gosh, you know, they could murder us. (laughs) Um, I just kept thinking... Oh, you know, if if they stop the van, I'm going to, I might go, but I'm going to go down with a fight sort of thing. And was really, really worried. How terrifying. It really was terrifying. It was the most scared I've been of anything in my life. But they carried on and we eventually got to the town where they said they would drop us off. And that's when we got out of the minibus, they shook our hands and were very polite. So um, that was just a huge relief. But then having got to the town, and and this is where it turns into a good story, we... um, it, it it was just chaos in the town because it was this national holiday and everybody was trying to get buses. And a stranger came up to us and asked us if we could help him with something. And it's one of those things where you think, oh, here we go again. You know, this is going to be somebody trying to rip us off or, you know, some sort of scam or something. But um, when we spoke to him a bit more, he, he explained that, he had applied for a job at an American business, American company, and English isn't his first language. And so would we mind just looking over his application and his CV? We sat down while we went into a nearby cafe with him. He he got his application. We went through it with him. We made tweaks to it, made suggestions. When that was all done, he disappeared He's and he came back and he said, right, come with me. You know, I've got a bus for you <laughs> the most terrifying awful day ever but also as I say you know then it turned into a kindness of strangers and sort of experience oh, well I'm glad that worked out okay in the end for you Lynn how terrifying so um from there we are on to chapter seven the final chapter of your travel diaries Lynn and that is the destination that is at the top of your travel bucket list one that I was going to do this year and it's probably top of my bucket list is to go to Borneo. And oh, yeah. Yeah, I've always wanted to go, always. And I just can't believe I haven't been. What a place for wildlife lovers. Absolutely. And I really want to go to Sabah in particular. But just see more of that area. And yes, it really will be a wildlife trip. Although, of course, people always make such a, a big difference as well, the people that you meet. But I'm really looking forward to seeing... Um, in the wild, some of the animals I haven't seen before, such as proboscis monkeys. Uh, I don't know if you know what they are. No, I don't, no, I don't know. Them, Google them. They're, they're monkeys. Nice, strange-looking monkeys you've ever seen with these big noses. Ever, ever since seeing them on a wildlife documentary once, I thought, oh, no, I do want to go and see those in the wild. Oh, I've, so, just, proboscis- oh, I've just looked them up. <laughs> <laughs> So for the listeners, they have extraordinary noses, which look kind of phallic-like. I mean, <laughs> wow, very unusual. They have red and orange hair, massive hands. Yeah, I, I see why they would why they would pique your curiosity, Lynn. <laughs> I know. They're just, they're, they're one of those unlikely animals, aren't they? Where you think, how on earth did you evolve to look like that? How did they evolve to that? <laughs> And so fleshy, pendulous noses. Exactly. So I've, I've had this thing that I do want to go and see proboscis monkeys uh, in the wild. Mm. And there's other animals. I mean, there's orangutans, which I've been fortunate to have seen before. But, uh, you know, I think it's it's really worrying at the moment what's happening to orangutans and, and 
how their numbers are being hit and, and what's happening there. So want to see uh, orangutans again and sun bears. And, and actually, I, I was tipped off about a place there as well where you um, got a very high chance of seeing clouded leopards. Oh. So um, to see a clouded leopard again after, you know, 35 years on or something would be very exciting. So, um, yes, Borneo for me. Are you hoping for 2021? Yes, definitely. That will be top of my list. Well, thank you so much. Lynn Hughes, those were your travel diaries. It's been lovely to hear them. Thank you so much. Thanks. Oh, that was Wanderlust Magazine's Lynn Hughes. I hope that's inspired some Wanderlust in all of you. Wanderlust Magazine is available in all good news agents as well as online at wanderlust.co.uk. If you liked this episode, why not subscribe and get new episodes weekly? You can do that for free on all the podcast apps like Apple, Spotify and CastBox. And to find out who's on next week's show, come and find me on Instagram. I'm at Holly Rubenstein. I'd love to hear from you. For everything else podcast related, visit thetraveldiariespodcast.com. Thank you so much for listening and I look forward to speaking to you again next week. Today's episode is supported by Airbnb. It has been a long old winter here in the UK and in between podcast seasons, I'm going to take a little bit of downtime to seek out some warmth. I'm jetting off to the Greek island of Mykonos, visiting some places that have been on my bucket list. And while I'm hopefully soaking up some Mediterranean sun, my home will be hosting guests from all over the world thanks to Airbnb. It's the perfect way to make your travels even more rewarding. Instead of letting your home sit empty while you're off exploring new destinations, why not turn it into a cozy retreat for fellow travellers just like I do. Whether you choose to rent out your entire space or just a spare room, it's up to you. I list my spare bedroom and it's been a fantastic experience, both financially rewarding and a great way to connect with new people. So if you're planning your own summer getaway or any trip for that matter, consider putting your home on Airbnb. It's a fantastic way to earn extra income that can go towards your travel expenses, souvenirs, or even that special treat you've been eyeing. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.co.uk forward slash host. Thank you to Airbnb for supporting the Travel Diaries. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 